Amen. Thank you to the choir. Thank you to Daly for leading that. I remember uh, being with one of our uh, individuals who has since passed away, but uh, Willet Vest, in his last few days as uh, he was nearing the end, he had been faithful to preach the word for many years. And I remember one of the things that he shared with me, he said, I just wish I would have focused more on grace when I was younger. And grace is a beautiful thing, and it's something that all of us benefit from, and we celebrate uh, the message this morning through song. So thank you very much. Uh, Jerry mentioned earlier that we have some books that are available out in the foyer this morning. And I encourage you, make sure you pick one up before you leave today. They are free. Uh, I am asking that you don't take 10 of them yourself. Uh, part of the reason is we have uh, close to 300 of them that we ordered. And there's enough for everybody to get one, um, but not everybody to get 10. So I'm just asking you to just get, get one for yourself. And uh, you can get one for your spouse as well. If it, uh, it's just an issue of uh, making sure everybody can get one. I will also say that uh, it is intended to take us through the season of Lent, which begins on Wednesday. This Wednesday is Ash Wednesday, and it runs through Good Friday. Uh, you do not use the book on Sunday, that's typically the day that we will come together and worship, but you'll do six days throughout each week, and it should take you all the way through to Good Friday. So uh, just kind of gets us to where we are all on the same page coming into Easter. If you want to get started early when you get those books, uh, there is a whole section in the front that just explains what the season of Lent is about and why we uh, do some of the things that we do. So if you want to get started by doing some of that, you're welcome to. You don't have to wait till Wednesday to do that. But uh, we do ask you to do the devotions with everybody else. It is a privilege to have everybody with us this morning as we uh, close out this sermon series. And uh, it's been entitled, uh, the sermon series has been entitled Big Butts. And as a part of that, the focus has really been about the fact that God intervenes in people's lives, and in some cases, it is a drastic intervention that takes place. Uh, you have an individual who was blind, but God intervened, and now they can see. You had one who was lost, but God intervened, and now they were found. And then last week, we covered one that really kind of covered a huge scope of buts with that. Today, we're going to talk about one who was dead, but was brought back to life. On September 11, 2001, thousands of people got up early in the morning and headed off to work uh, at the Twin Towers, the Pentagon, or as first responders. They had no idea that they would never be able to return to their homes. Nearly 3,000 people died as a result of the terror attacks that day. The actual number was 2,977 people, but the original reports were much, much higher. Some of this was the result of news media wanting to have the big scoop, quickly publishing numbers that were more than speculative. They were even sensationalized. But there were other reasons for the confusion regarding how many individuals had died. For one thing, communication suddenly became very, very difficult in and around the areas where the attacks took place. Phone service was scattered at best and transportation away from the attack locations was very difficult. Over the course of the next week, the initial estimates would steadily decline, but with some surprises. I have a good friend who is a Wesleyan pastor down in Texas. His pastor was scheduled to be at a training event at the Twin Towers on September 11, 2001. At the last minute, she decided not to go 
yet she still showed up on the list of those who were supposed to be there that day. Imagine my friend's surprise about a week after the attacks of September 11th when he received a phone call. We regret to inform you that your wife has been declared dead in the attacks of September 11th. My friend immediately stopped. He said, excuse me, and they repeated it. Your wife has been declared dead in the attacks of September 11th. He looked over at his wife sitting beside him and he said, okay, I'll let her know. <laughs> Obviously, her name was removed from the list. But the Bible tells multiple stories about individuals who were not merely mistaken for dead. They were truly dead. But God moved, bringing the individuals back to life. In the Old Testament, it happened on multiple occasions. We have both Elijah and Elisha raising children back to life, one in 1 Kings 17, another in 2 Kings chapter 4. And of course, one of the most unique resurrections occurs when a dead body is thrown into the grave of Elisha. As soon as the dead man's body touched the body of Elisha, even though he himself was dead, the man stood up and began to walk. 2 Kings 13. Perhaps this was sort of a, a foreshadowing of the fact that Jesus also would experience death, and in doing so, he would bring to life all others who would die but believe in him. In the New Testament, we see in Luke chapter 7 that Jesus encounters a funeral procession for a small child. Having compassion on the mother, Jesus stops the procession. And he instructs the child to get up, and he does. And this time of sorrow turns into a great time of celebration. Then in Luke chapter 8, Jesus encounters a religious leader named Jairus, whose daughter was very ill. Unfortunately, the girl dies. But that's not the end of her story either, as Jesus raises her from the dead and then warns the parents not to tell anyone. Seriously, how do you keep from telling something like that? And then there's Lazarus, whom we're going to talk about significantly this morning. But before we get into his story, I want to point out that there were several other resurrections that are recorded in the scriptures. Individuals were dead, but God shows up and he brings life. Obviously, we know that Jesus would be raised, something that we'll focus on heavily in the coming weeks as we head into Easter. In addition, Peter would raise a lady named Dorcas to life. Paul would be preaching one night, and apparently he was a little bit of a long-winded preacher. And after many hours of preaching, there's a young man named Eutychus who is sitting in the windowsill. Apparently it was packed. There wasn't a real seat, so he's sitting in the windowsill, and he falls asleep. Well, it wasn't a downstairs window. He falls out the window, and he dies. Paul goes down, raises Eutychus back to life, and then goes back to preaching. That must have been a really good sermon for everybody but Eutychus. One of the coolest resurrection stories to me is found in what I'll call a mass resurrection in Jerusalem. It's found in Matthew 27, verse 50 to 54. You don't have to turn to it right now, but I encourage you, go back and look it up. It is a great story. Matthew 27, 50 to 54 tells us that at the resurrection of Christ... Other saints who had recently died suddenly returned to life, appearing to many in the city. Can you imagine the shock of the families 
who had just began, begun to cope with the death of Uncle Joe, only to suddenly have Uncle Joe knocking on the door. I'm back. How do the religious leaders explain that away? There are many who have moved from death to life. I'm going to suggest to you today that God still raises people from death to life. But it may not always be a physical death. Sometimes it is a spiritual death and God can make us alive once more. Let's get back to Lazarus. His story is found in John chapter 11. So if you haven't already turned there, if you want to, I would love to have you join us here. I won't read the entire passage to you, but I do want to summarize portions of it and then highlight a few specific verses. I want to start with a little bit of background information for you. The last time Jesus had been to Judea, he wasn't received very well. So he's been out ministering elsewhere. On this occasion, he is on the other side of the Jordan River, at least a day's walk from Bethany in Judea. In the days before cell phones and immediate media communications, messages were delivered by hand. And such communications often took days before they would get to their intended audience. Well, Jesus receives word that his friend Lazarus has become gravely ill. His sisters are asking that Jesus would come and heal their brother. This request is very appropriate, especially as they had seen Jesus heal so many other people throughout the years. They knew that Jesus could do this. They knew that he was their best and only hope. But Jesus does something curious with their request. He appears to brush it off and act as if this doesn't matter. He certainly could have dropped everything that he was doing and run to Lazarus to be there to take care of him. Or he could have just spoken the word, providing one of those long-distance healings. But he doesn't. According to John 11, Jesus stayed where he was for two more days before journeying back to see Lazarus. Now, I do want to just point out that Jesus knew something that nobody else in this story knew. It was reported to Jesus that Lazarus was sick, but the situation had already changed by the time it's reported to him. You see, later we'll see that upon Jesus' arrival in Bethany, Lazarus has already been dead for four days. Let's do the math. If it took a day for the message to arrive to Jesus, which he was about a day away from Bethany, if it took away a day for the message to get there, and then he works for two more days still ministering to individuals, and then it takes a day for him to travel back, basically Lazarus likely died shortly after the messengers left to get help. So by the time they get to Jesus, Lazarus was already dead for about a day. The other thing to keep in mind is that Jesus sees the big picture, while even those whom he loves see only the immediate need. What I mean by this is Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters, are seeking a miracle to ease the immediate pain. But Jesus knows that the pain is about to become God's tool for the incredible to take place. I heard a speaker say this week that if you can conceive it with your mind, if you can believe it in your heart, then you can achieve it. This is the name it and claim it mentality. 
Well, Lazarus' family conceived the healing. They believed in their heart that Jesus could do it, yet he still died. That's because Jesus knows better than we do, whether we like to admit it or not. I heard another speaker say more accurately that if you want God to answer your prayers, then you need to do three things. Number one, you need to be saved. You need to surrender your life to Christ. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Allow the Spirit to dictate to you who you are, the things that you think, the things that you want. And then begin to pray in the will of the Father. The truth is, I am just not smart enough to figure out what is best for every situation, but God is. And Jesus knew that this had to take place. So anyways, we see that Jesus has waited two days after receiving word about Lazarus. And then in verse 11, we read this. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. I will tell you, as this next statement is made, I almost picture Jesus looking like, come on, guys, seriously, do I really have to explain everything to you? It says, so then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Jesus seems to have contradicted himself already within this chapter. In verse 4, which we skipped over, but we summarized, he declared that this sickness will not end in death, but that the glory of God would be revealed in it. Yet here he declares, Lazarus is dead. And he's grateful for the fact that we weren't there because this is going to help you guys believe. That sounds really crazy, but it's not. It's just not what people were expecting. Did you know sometimes God does things and it is absolutely the right thing, even though it's not what we expect him to do? Jesus does return to Bethany where he is greeted by Mary and Martha. They are weeping as any sister who loved their brother would be weeping at his loss. And after four days, the funeral has already taken place with many in the community already coming to pay their last respect to Lazarus and to his family. No doubt by this time, everybody in town knows that Lazarus is dead. And he's more than just a little dead. He's like a woman who has just become pregnant. She might say that she's just a little bit pregnant, but the truth is she's a whole lot pregnant. It's just new to her. Well, by the time Jesus shows up, he's been dead long enough that the, the debate over whether he's really dead has already been settled. Mark Twain said that the reports of my death have been greatly exaggerated. Lazarus' death was not exaggerated. It was confirmed. But God. Jesus shows up and he asks to see Lazarus. Perhaps they think he just wants to say his goodbyes to pay his respects. Look at it down in verse 38. Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb it was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. 
But Lord said, Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Now, I'll just stop for a second. Different translations use different terms for this. Some versions say that his body has already begun to decay, while the King James Version really makes it simple. He stinketh. The point is, it's bad. And as soon as we open up this cave, you're going to know this man's been dead for four days. The stench of death is all over him. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. In this moment, the deepest sorrow that Mary and Martha had ever known suddenly turned into the most amazing joy they had ever experienced in their lives. Jesus took their sorrow and turned it into dancing. All of those resurrections that I spoke about earlier, they all took place shortly after the individual's death or even immediately afterwards. But time is not an issue for Jesus. So it's been four days. Who cares? He had more than enough resurrection power to bring their brother back from the dead. It's funny that we even talk about whether Jesus had the power to do something like raising Lazarus from the dead. He had done so many incredible things already. In verse 37, some of the Jews who were watching all of this unfold, noted that Jesus had been able to heal the blind, but he was unable to save this man. But they were so wrong. Suddenly a beautiful thing unfolds. Picture what happens here. They open the tomb and suddenly the stench of death begins to permeate through the air. And you can almost picture the people covering their noses and their mouths, not wanting to breathe in the stench because it is disgusting. Then Jesus begins to pray to the Father and he cries out, Lazarus, come forth, come out. Everyone looks intently into the tomb. They still got their hands on their faces. They're covering their mouth, but everybody all of a sudden is looking in. Is this really going to happen? Nobody expected it. Even as Martha said to him, but Lord, He's been dead four days. The odor is terrible. She didn't even want the stone to be rolled away. There was no expectation at this moment that Jesus might be about to perform a miracle. But Jesus cries out, Lazarus, come forth. And suddenly there's a bit of a rumbling from within the tomb. And Lazarus comes walking out, grave clothes and all. It doesn't actually say it, but I kind of see Lazarus being very much like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they came out of the fiery furnace. Y'all remember that story? God would deliver them from the fire. 
And when they came out of the fire unharmed, the same fire that had consumed the soldiers who threw them in, when they came out of the fire unharmed, it was noted that they didn't even smell like smoke. Well, I imagine that Lazarus no longer smelled like death either. But rather the incredible aroma of life filled the air. Jesus instructs them to take the grave clothes off of him, for he is no longer dead. He is alive. Glory to God. Can you imagine the celebration that would have taken place? For four days, they've been in mourning. They've been in sorrow. Everybody has come to pay their respects. They all know this guy is dead, and everybody has wept. They would actually pay mourners, individuals who would come and weep at the funeral so that you had other people to weep alongside you. Well, that's already taken place. It's been nothing but sorrow and pain and grief for days. I don't think they had to pay anybody to celebrate. That celebration would have lasted for far more than a night. A part of the reason for this is that so many people had already come to say their goodbyes. He was undoubtedly dead. And what this does is open the door for some of the things that Jesus had previously said that seemed like they would not be fulfilled, but somehow now they are. Obviously, the sickness has not ended in death. But this also benefits the faith of his disciples. They have seen that there is nothing that God cannot do. And this has absolutely brought glory to God, and the rest of the world will take notice of it. Note that the people can argue over theology. People can disagree with you over your beliefs and even your teachings. The Pharisees did it all the time. But true resurrection will be noticed by everyone. Look what happens just one chapter later in John chapter 12. Remember, the, the religious leaders, they've fought with Jesus every step of the way, and they can argue about what he's teaching, about what he's saying. But it's really hard to argue with this. John 12, verse 9 through 11 says this. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priest made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. You see, this but God event has a ripple effect in the lives of other people. Word is spreading that Lazarus, the, the one we saw dead, we knew that he was dead. Word is spreading that Lazarus is alive and that Jesus even has the power over death. So many are now believing in him. What a beautiful truth. Now, I've covered this today from the physical side of resurrection. There's no question that Jesus literally raised Lazarus from the dead. The people knew it, and that's why so many were believing. Even the religious leaders knew it. That's why they wanted him killed, to put an end to his story. But this story is about much more than the physical resurrection of Lazarus. This story is about the ability of God to raise you 
from death to life. Specifically, there are two applications for you and I. First, in the present, God desires to raise us from spiritual death to spiritual life. It doesn't matter how dead you are. Maybe you've been spiritually dead for a very, very long time. Maybe your spiritual death has caused you to reek with the stench of sin. Or maybe you're just a little bit dead. You're still dead. I want you to know that even in your spiritual death, God still wants a personal relationship with you. But he doesn't want you to stay dead. He wants you to be made alive in him. In fact, he invites you. He is pleading for you to experience life like you've never experienced it before. The life that he offers you is an abundant life filled with purpose and joy and freedom and victory and hope and purpose. You know, Lazarus had lived for many years before this event takes place. But this event changes everything. All of a sudden, he becomes a witness to the rest of the world. His life serves a purpose as many, many people are now believing in Christ only because of what they see in him. Do you know that God can do the same thing in you? I was with someone the other day who recently surrendered his life to Christ. He was calling his mother-in-law, who had been praying for him for many years. You could hear the joy and the tears as she rejoiced over what God was doing, bringing him from death into life, turning her sorrow into dancing. I want you to know that such a celebration is what awaits all those who are moved from death to life in Christ Jesus. But there is another application that clearly relates to us. In the resurrection story of Lazarus, we see the promise that all of us will one day be resurrected much as Jesus resurrects Lazarus in that day. In John eleven twenty four, 24, it is... Lazarus's grieving sister, Martha, who says, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. We too have this promise. There is coming a day where the final resurrection will occur. And from that point forward, there will no longer be any sorrow, any death, no more crying, no more pain. And just as there was great rejoicing over the resurrection of Lazarus, there will be great rejoicing in heaven as Jesus splits the eastern sky, comes down out of heaven. The graves will open, the dead will rise, and then the rest of us will gather with them and meet him in the air. My question to you today is this. Are you dead or alive? Have you been made spiritually alive for today? No longer walking in the stench and the filth of sin and defeat and death? Many of us have 
chosen at some point or another say a prayer asking God to forgive us of our sin, to bring us back to life. Yet then we walk around with the stench of sin over us all the time because we continue to live the same life we lived before. But the problem is that life is really death. Are you walking around as one who is actually spiritually dead? Are you the walking dead? Or have you been made alive? If you continue to live in the sin that has enslaved you for so long, you misunderstand the promise that Jesus gives. When he talks about us having abundant life. He doesn't mean that you will continue to do the same things you did before, but rather you will be made new. That song they sang this morning about grace is all about the grace of God to transform our lives. I don't have to be the same one that I was before. I can be a different person, a new creation. I can move from death into life. So have you been made spiritually alive for today? No longer walking in the stench of sin, of defeat and death? Another question. Are you ready for the return of Christ? No man knows the day nor the hour which Christ will return. There are those who will suggest to you that they know when the Lord is coming back. They're liars. I'm just going to tell you straight out, not to be offensive to anyone, they're lying to you. Um, they have no idea. Jesus himself says, even I do not know, yet the Father himself is the only one who knows. No one knows when the Lord will come back, but I can assure you that it will occur. The reason I can be so confident about that is because God has kept every promise that he has ever made. It's not as if there's that one promise that he never got around to and it didn't work out the way he said it would. The only promises that he has not kept are the ones that have just not yet happened. And he said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will what? I will come back that you also may come so you can be where I am. That is a promise that he is keeping. He has kept every other promise. I can assure you that it will happen. And once that moment comes, it will be too late to change your mind. So I want to invite you today to examine your own heart, to be able to look and see if you are spiritually alive or if you are spiritually dead. If you are spiritually dead, sometimes we will justify it. Talked about being a little bit dead as opposed to being a lot dead. We'll justify it. I'm not as dead as he is, not as dead as she is. Now, we might not actually say it that way, but you know that's the way we think. We look at everybody else's sin, and that's much worse than mine, so it's not as bad as everybody else's. So I'm good. A little bit dead is still dead. So I'm inviting you to examine your own heart today to see whether you are spiritually dead or spiritually alive. 1 John 1.9 tells us that if we will confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
So I invite you today that if you allowed sin to exist, the stench of sin is all over you, whether you realize it or not. I used to work in a convenience store many years ago, and people would walk in, and you could tell when they had been smoking or whatever, but they couldn't. You become nose blind. You know, you reach that point, you don't even notice it anymore because you're used to it all the time. But what happens is other people notice. This isn't about smoking. <laughs> this is about the sin that you've become nose blind to. You no longer realize that you're spiritually dead. And the stench is obvious. It's time to be made alive. Confess your sins. Invite his spirit to come and dwell within you. And then walk in the will of God for the rest of your life. I invite you to bow your heads with me if you would. Father, as we come before you, we begin by asking you to examine our hearts. Lord, many of us today have allowed just a little bit of death within our lives. We've allowed sin to remain where it does not belong. And the result is that we are covered with the stench of that sin. May we fool a lot of people. and People don't realize some of the things that are going on. But these things are killing us. We are spiritually dead. But I pray right now that you would help us to recognize where change is necessary in us. Where we have sinned, I pray right now that you would forgive us. You know those areas, and as we confess them quietly to you today, Lord, I pray that you would cleanse us from all unrighteousness, that you would take away the stench of death, and instead fill us with your Holy Spirit and allow us to walk out of here with the smell, the aroma of life, knowing that we have been made new, we are being transformed into your likeness, and that we are no longer dead, but we have been made alive, just as Lazarus walked out of that tomb fully alive. Father, I pray today that you would help us to experience this salvation new and fresh every single moment moving forward. With every head bowed and eye closed, maybe you have prayed even this morning as I was praying, asking God to forgive you of your sin, to start over, recognizing you have allowed sin to exist and it should no longer be there. You're wanting to move from death into life. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? I want to be able to pray for you. I won't call you by name. Thank you. Put them back down. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Father, right now for the individuals who just raised their hands. Oh, we know that forgiveness is only through you. Thank you that you are still calling people from death to life. Thank you that you are still forgiving sins and setting people free and giving people hope and giving them purpose and filling them with the joy. Lord, I pray today that you would move us all from death to life. But for the five individuals who just raised their hands, I pray right now that they would be made alive in you. Fill them with your spirit and work in their hearts. Use them 
so that the rest of the world can take notice they are not the same people they were before. For we serve a redeeming, gracious God who is still saving people's souls. Offer that grace to them as well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want you to know I was really excited coming into today's message. I really was. Part of it's because I knew that Man, this is a great story about people moving from death to life. And I always try to picture in my mind the things that I'm reading. And I picture Mary and Martha, don't ask me what they actually look like. But I picture in my mind these two ladies sitting there and they're asking Jesus to heal their brother. And then they've kind of given up hope. And then they're standing there and again, peeking around as he says, Lazarus, come out, looking in. Is that really going to happen? Can you imagine their excitement? I'm going to tell you, it pales in comparison to me. It pales in comparison to seeing you, spiritually dead, moving into life and finding freedom and purpose and seeing what God could do through you now that he is the Lord of your life. I hope that that's real for you. I know it is for me. Hey, be sure as you leave today, be sure you grab one of those books that are back there. Uh, everyone should get one. Uh, if, if, you, if you can read, if you can't read, if you need all pictures, uh, just let someone else read it to you. John, you can have Shay read it to you. Uh, so, uh, but it, if you can get one, get one. We want you to have it. Thank you for being with us this morning and go in peace.